Somewhere in the bowels of the city that never sleeps. Kevin McCullough, radio host with Salem Media. Is a man also not sleeping. Syndicated radio talk show host Kevin McCullough. And that guy would like a word with you. Many of you know him from his looks for Damas. Of course that Kevin show is going to be great. The only thing that could be greater, of course, would be that Donald show. But we don't have that, so we have that Kevin show. Featuring the music of Dick Tunney and the Dream in Color Orchestra. And tonight, that Kevin show welcomes New York City's number one trial attorney, Arthur Idala. They're fighting to save stolen youth, Carol Markowitz and Bethany Mandel, singer-songwriters Kristen Getty and Sky Peterson, and the number one Super Bowl commercial producer, Brad Hill. And now, from Times Square, where the pizza rats are daring the underground drag queens to cross their picket lines, here's that heaven. All I can say, there seems to be a lot more going on in, the, in those subways than I've ever realized, that's for sure. Pizza rats and drag queens fighting it out uh, right under the very buildings we're in. Anyway, Kevin McCullough, welcome to a Saturday. We couldn't be happier than to have you with us. We've got a lot to get to tonight. Uh, as you just heard, you saw on the billboard, uh, Arthur Idala is going to be with us. Arthur is one of those, uh, well, he's one of these rare uh, creatures where he is uh, a, you know, nails tough uh, criminal defense attorney, former prosecutor, uh, but comes off as one of the one of the good guys, one of the real good guys. And the New York Times had a piece um, on him last year that just it just set the world on fire. It talked about all the good things that he's done, um, and he he takes his role as a defense attorney very very seriously. But you may have known him for years on the Fox News Channel. He now hosts a, a radio talk radio show. In New York City, on the same station I'm on, AM 970, The Answer, and uh, looking forward to having some fun with him. Uh, and a little bit later on, uh, we're going to talk with songwriters uh, Kristen Getty and Sky Peterson uh, from our music spotlight tonight. So that's all coming up this hour. We've got a lot to get to. Now, I, I, I don't know if you saw the trend that I saw this week in the headlines, but there was this kind of overwhelming, continuing pattern that we have been in for the last couple of weeks, actually. And it started with Christopher Ray a week ago saying, yes, the FBI has for some time believed that the, the COVID virus started in the Wuhan lab. There was no wet market. There was no seafood market. There was no bats. None of this stuff was uh, where it came from. This was, a, this, was a, this was a virus that was engineered and juiced a little bit and so forth. Well, now that that has been widely asserted, not by just the FBI, but other parts of the administration as well, including the Energy Department, the State Department, uh, the uh, Pentagon, uh, there are a number of people, um, former public health officials that have all uh, bought into this idea, and now you're starting to see uh, some real action on it. Well, this week, the CDC had, or the former CDC director, uh, Mr. Redfield, uh, was brought up to Capitol Hill, and he said something even more remarkable. 
Uh, he was asked by Congressman Brad Westrup, in your opinion, has gain-of-function stopped a pandemic, in your opinion? The reason that he's asking this is because gain-of-function was how we got COVID. They took it and they engineered it to make it jump. It originally would only uh, be transmitted back and forth between animals, and then they got it to jump from the animal to the human. That should not have been able to replicate itself in nature because novel viruses can't transpire themselves into human-to-human -human infection. So we've known, at least the smart people have known, that it was engineered, that there was some degree of engineering behind it for a while. But he was asked, um, did gain-of-function stop any pandemic? And, and here's what Dr. Robert Redfield said. No. On the contrary... I think it probably caused the greatest pandemic our world has ever seen. Now, that's what he's talking about uh, to Congress in light of the view that we have now been told the truth about something that we did not know before. Okay, let's, that's, that's item number one, and that happened this week. Let's go to item number two. Uh, January 6th coverage, 41,000 hours of footage uh, now having been seen by someone in the press, not just the uh, – the gatekeepers in Congress uh, and Tucker Carlson came out and put a bunch of stuff into perspective. A couple of nights in a row, he did segments on it. He, he may have more segments playing as far as I know. Uh, but he, he, he let us see behind the curtain at some things that took place that we had been lied to about. The American people have been told falsehoods about them. And, and lo and behold, the government could not handle the fact that the American people were actually seeing with their own eyes what they were seeing with their own eyes. They could not stand it. So Chuck Schumer comes out and says, bald-faced lie. Tucker's bald-faced lying to people. It, how could he be bald-faced lying? It was, it was coverage that, um, that existed on the surveillance tapes. He didn't manipulate it, couldn't make it up. This was, this was just what it was. And Tucker Carlson letting us see it for what it was. Anyway... Schumer then told the Senate, with contempt for the facts, disregard of risks, knowing full well he was lying to his audience, Fox News host Tucker Carlson ran a lengthy segment arguing the January 6th Capitol attack was not a violent insurrection. He did no such thing, ladies and gentlemen. He never said it wasn't, that, that, that everything was just hunky-dory. There was vandalism. There were crimes committed. Tucker Carlson, myself, other people, after seeing the tape said, charge the people with the crimes that were committed. But we did prove that it was not a, a deadly insurrection. The Capitol Police officer that supposedly had been murdered with a fire extinguisher being bashed into his head turned out to be alive and directing traffic inside the Senate after he supposedly was dead. Of course, we found out later that he died later that week. But he did not die that day, and it's likely that he did not die from the wounds uh, incurred in which I don't even know that he had any. He had a helmet on his head. If he had been hit in the head with a, a fire extinguisher, I, I don't think that helmet, I think, number one, the helmet would have helped protect him. Number two, the helmet didn't look damaged. So not exactly sure. But then then Chuck Schumer begs Rupert Murdoch, please don't let him go ahead with, uh, with a second. Take a look. Uh, Schumer also called on Murdoch, Fox News' owner, to stop Carlson from airing a second segment on his show. You know it's a lie. You've admitted it's a lie. Well, actually, it wasn't a lie, and that's part of the problem. Then finally, yesterday, 
One more time. The Twitter files people. They're being brought in under the auspices of the Oversight Committee, the Weaponization of Government Committee. Jim Jordan's doing a great job leading that. Wanting to ask the Twitter file reporters, uh, what, what were you trying to do in exposing Twitter's censorship? A couple of Democratic female Congress people really took exception to this. One was Congresswoman Plaskett. She insisted there was no real evidence between Twitter and the federal government, except that you have people on the record who said that, it, that there was now. That's part of the problem. She went on to cite testimony of the former head of trust and safety who said during a previous committee hearing that he faced threats and online harassment uh, for his role in censoring. Well, maybe don't censor people anymore. Maybe that's the solution. Maybe censoring's a bad idea. Debbie Wasserman Schultz, a name I haven't heard for a really long time, engaged in similar questioning, arguing being a Republican witness today certainly casts a cloud over your objectivity. Saying to reporters, oh, because you're here because the Republicans asked you to come, it casts a cloud over your objectivity. Like he couldn't possibly be objective because Republicans asked him to come and testify. Friends, it's very interesting what all three of these stories have in common. Democrat officials trying to hide the truth, trying to prevent footage from being seen, trying to prevent actual testimony from being given, actually questioning whistleblowing testimony that has been given, actually wanting to uh, deny and cover up and hide the origins of a deadly pandemic, uh, deny the truth about what they have called a deadly insurrection that ended up not being deadly. The only woman that died that day, you remember who she was? One of the tourists, Ashley Babbitt, former Air Force member. She's the only one that died on, on January 6th. But why do Democrats want to hide everything? Because they don't want you to know what they know. They are trying to keep it from you. Part of our job is to make sure that you have access to it. Kevin McCullough, big show straight ahead from New York. Arthur Idala, the amazing uh, number one trial attorney in New York, joins me next. I knew it. Uh, come on, Kev. What's a few classified documents between friends? I told you. I told you all the time. I knew it. I knew he had some, too. Here he is. That Kevin. Kevin McCullough. My next guest needs no introduction if you run in the legal circles in the world's greatest city here in New York. But if you're in some of the other uh, places across the country, you may remember him from Fox News uh, for a long time as one of their top legal uh, analysts and contributors. And he has now joined the colleague ranks of talk radio's finest here in uh, the world's greatest city as well. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for Arthur Idala Esquire. Hello, sir. What's going on? How are you, sir? 
I'm doing quite well. I have a, I have a quick question up front. How come uh, we don't refer to the Esquire in formal society like we used to? There was a time and place where that ESQ was always written after people's names, kind of like MD or PhD. Have we lost some respect for what great uh, guardians of the law represent in our society today? Maybe, you know, maybe we have, but and maybe it's deservingly so. Um, you know, there's good and bad in every prof profession, whether it's the plumber or the automobile mechanic or the doctor or the lawyer. But lawyers have done a, a pretty good job of sullying um, our own reputation. Some of it is just the nature of the beast. Um, you know, you have to be an advocate and you have to fight hard. And sometimes when you're fighting hard, it's, it gets a little ugly. Um, but others it because it has to do with greed, have to do with ego, have to do with publicity. So, you know what, if the, the stature of the lawyer has been diminished, I only blame the lawyers. Hmm. Uh, Arthur, you're a second, at least second, I think maybe third generation attorney in your family. Um, why, what role has the law played in the generations of idolas? Where did that um, thirst for truth and justice begin? And, and do, you, do you hopefully see one of your sons someday carrying the mantle? Well, that's a great question, Kevin. Um, yes, my mother's father uh, was a lawyer when Italian-Americans were not lawyers uh, here in, in the city of New York. And then my dad uh, went on to become a lawyer as well, the first in his family to graduate high school, college, and then on to law school. Uh, I, you know, I had a little bit of a different path, Kevin. I wanted to be a thespian. Um, you know, I was at, in high school, uh, my senior year, they, uh, they put on the show, the music man, just so I could be Harold Hill, the music man. And before that, I was in West Side Story, Oklahoma, Guys and Dolls. Um, and I went to acting college. I went to SUNY, uh, the State University of New York at Purchase, where Edie Falco, Stanley Tucci, Wesley Snipes, uh, you know, amongst others, uh, Parker Posey, I keep going on and on, graduated from, but I really wasn't that into, like, the, there's a phrase when you're an actor, you have to know how to say it's, would you like mashed potatoes, rice, or french fries with your order? Because every time you want to be an actor, you have to be a waiter or a waitress at some point along the way. <laughs> so when I was graduating college, I was like, well, what am I going to do now? And I'm not going to do that. And also, the world of acting is so competitive, viciously competitive. And it just, I just wasn't feeling it. And I said, you know what, let me try this LSAT thing. Uh, it would be naive to say uh, my grandfather, who I knew until I was 13 years old and saw him at, in his capacity as a lawyer, and then obviously living in a household with a really brilliant uh, trial attorney in, in my father, you know, to say that didn't rub off through osmosis uh, would be naive. Uh, and then I, you know, I went to the to law school and became a prosecutor able to try cases. And really, Kevin, that that scratch the itch of being a performer because when you're uh doing a trial basically i'm the writer the producer and the director of the show and it, all it's in very sad all in one person and it you know uh, i've been told that i put on a pretty good performance in front of those 12 jurors well, i was going to ask you if that scratches the itch because there's obviously um in terms of being in front of an audience, which a jury is. And I, I would imagine that the acting skills are helpful. Absolutely, 100%, because now more than ever, Kevin, you have to do everything you just said in an entertaining way. Think about it. 
everyone who's watching right now, think about it. When was the last time you went three hours without having a phone in your hand, without having a device in front of you, a laptop, a television, you know, your iPad, whatever it is? Because when you do jury duty, that's all taken away from you when you're in the courtroom. You can't go down and go look at your text. You can't check with the, the local newspaper. You have to be focused on the people in front of you. And Kevin, now more than ever, the people in front of you, if you, if the, the people I'm in front of, if I want to keep their attention, I have to entertain them. I have to raise my voice high. And then sometimes lean in and whisper really quietly and give them different stories and different narratives to keep that attention that we have all now learned to like focus on that little phone in front of us and back onto the big screen. Yeah. So it, it really does satisfy um, uh, my desire to, to engage with my fellow human beings. And I'm doing so in a way that, um, you know, I feel is making a difference. We're speaking with New York's number one criminal defense attorney and uh, the leader of the ABK law firm, uh, probably New York's most prestigious criminal defense firm. And um, when when big time lawyers need a lawyer, they turn to Arthur and his team at ABK, uh, who I've had a chance to get to know a little bit behind the scenes. I work with not only you, Arthur, but uh, some of your partners uh, in media as well. And I got to tell you, you've assembled an all star crew that are just wonderful to work with. It, we have a couple of minutes before our first break. I want to ask you a kind of a kind of a curveball here. Um, courtroom drama has been one of the most filmed, documented, dramatized uh, bit of content for movies and films and TV since the beginning of the era. I mean, it's it, you go way way back, and it's all you've always done uh, murder mysteries and trials and so forth. Um, What's your favorite dramatized uh, movie or film or TV show about the courtroom? Uh, a Time to Kill. And a why? A Time to Kill with Matthew McConaughey. His closing argument is really, really, really fantastic. And, you know, before I give, not so much anymore, but <clears throat> rewind 10, 12 years ago <clears throat> when I was a little younger um, and I had to give a big closing argument, I would go online and watch not the whole thing, but just the trial scenes and Justice for All, A Few Good Men, um, uh, uh, and, and uh, um, actually my cousin Vinny, uh, believe it or not, has, <laughs> has excellent cross-examination. That, that uh, was when you were doing New Jersey trial dates. Those were that, yeah, that was the cousin yeah, Vinny. But I, yeah, but I will tell you, the, the cross-examination in that is very good. It's very effective, and it's very, like, real. Um, and then of all of them, though, in my opinion, the closing argument in A Few Good Men is so powerful. It's so deliberate. And um, okay, thirty uh, seconds. Have you ever have you ever gotten someone to walk across the line the way the Cruz character does with Nicholas in that scene? Uh, no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I, I I have not. But I've uh, there's been plenty of drama in the courtroom from as a prosecutor, a defendant trying to jump over the rail and choke me uh to as a defense attorney uh you know getting a verdict that brought me to tears because i knew it was the right verdict but i was afraid it was going to be the wrong verdict so mm. there's been and there's been a lot of a lot of real estate between those two moments that we could talk about well we're talking with uh new york's number one uh, criminal defense guy and his uh, entire team at abk law wonderful people coming right back with arthur idala from new york Stick around for more of That Kevin next. That Kevin Show with Kevin McCullough.
is from New York, that Kevin, Kevin McCullough. Welcome back. Glad to have you with us uh, tonight visiting with uh, not only New York's number one criminal defense guy, and he's the guy that they all call when they're in real trouble, um, but also one of the genuine good guys in the uh, in the industry. Arthur Idala is his name, and he is uh, back with us. You can, by the way, catch his radio show. If you're in the city or in the tri-state, you can catch it on AM 970, The Answer, weeknights at 6 o'clock uh, there, Monday through Friday. But it's also available worldwide uh, at am970theanswer.com. And uh, people literally tune in from Israel to Alaska to you name it. They're, they're listening to Arthur. Don't forget at Italy. Eastern. Don't forget Italy. And a lot, forget of it, Italy. A, lot, a lot of Italy is tuned in. All my cousins listen in, in Sicily. I heard that half of them are learning English, listening to your radio show. So I, I don't know if that's true or not. But hey, uh, Arthur, public service. you've represented, if I just said the names, um, some of the biggest ones in sports, in law, in entertainment. Uh, I know that your firm currently has ongoing cases with everyday names that people would know. What's what's the most unique challenge in dealing with uh, a well-known person in terms of their uh, their criminal defense? The media is, is definitely a, an aspect of it because the media puts a lot of pressure on my adversary, whether it's a civil case or a, or a criminal case. You know, in a civil case, it'll be another big law firm or an insurance company. And in a criminal case, it'll be a prosecutor's office. So that even if I have convinced them that my guy deserves or my gal deserves a break or, or some sort of accommodation, they're much more reluctant to do so because so many people, so many eyeballs are on it. Um, whereas if there are no eyeballs on it, I can convince them and then they're more likely to get it done. Uh, and also there's, you know, there's a personality situation. You know, when, when I represented Lawrence Taylor, I remember giving him some choices about, um, his case. I was like, well, Lawrence, you know, there's option one and it could go this way. There's option two. It could go that way. There's option three. It could go that way. I go, what do you think? And he goes, what do I think? He goes, I think you're the guy. With all those fancy pieces of paper on the wall, who's been doing this for 25 years? I think you're going to make the decision, and it's it's great for a lawyer that someone who's in the Hall of Fame and is literally nationally known and has so much clout and can hire any lawyer he wants, you know, gives me that kind of uh, security that he yeah. believes in me. Um, and you know, and on the other side, I have Alan Dershowitz, right? He's the 50-year professor at Harvard Law. He's a brilliant man. And I will tell you, dealing with Professor Dershowitz, there are times where he has some ideas that I respectfully disagree with. Um, and he usually relents. He'll be like, all right, all right, just put it in the footnote. You can take it out of the main brief, put it in the footnote. He goes, nobody reads the footnotes anyway, which I don't think that's true, but... You know, he'll he'll give in. So that's, you know, that's wonderful. You know, Rudy Giuliani, we we put documents together. We put them in front of him. He sits right here in our conference room with his pen. He makes some changes. Sometimes we have some heated debate about the changes. But, you know, you're talking about another, uh, well, very well-experienced lawyer. He's the in, prosecutor in, that brought down the mob. I mean, it's it's hard to argue with he or Mr. Dershowitz. And, and he did a lot of other stuff before that. I mean, you yeah. know, when he was just a younger prosecutor. So, you know, it's interesting dealing with all of these different people and personalities. The best part for me is it's never boring. I mean, it is never boring. 
Well, um, and you and you stay so active. You, there, there's no way your life could be boring. You recently reconstituted your high school band and played a big a big uh, concert uh, in uh, New York. And and you're just you're just always on the go. We've got about 60 seconds left, and I feel like this is my my most important question. What's the most meaningful thing to Arthur Idala in your life outside of the courtroom? Um, I just want to help society. Uh, you know, starting from. All politics is local. So starting from my little law firm, you know, I want to make sure everyone here is living the best life they possibly can. And then mm. to my AM 970 family, I want to make sure they're living the best life that they can. And then, you know, I take it out into, you know, my neighborhood, my, you know, my friends, my neighborhood, my neighbors, making sure, you know, whatever I can do to help my friend who's in the Department of Sanitation to make the streets as clean as they can. Yesterday, I, I was with people from the mayor's office. You know, how could me and my office help make this city the best we can? You know, we should just all be working to go together under the spirit of love to make our society together as human beings. I don't care about Republicans or Democrats. I don't care black, white, man, woman. We're human beings on this beautiful planet, tiny little planet. Let's make it the best we can be. Let's all work together to do that. I love that. And uh, I think that would be a great uh, stump speech for a future mayor, Idala of New York. But we'll have to... I, I, I won't get you to confess to that tonight, I'm sure. Anyway, Arthur, it's been a pleasure to have you with us on That Kevin Show. So thanks for coming by and come on back and see us again. Thanks, Kevin. Keep up the great work. We all appreciate what you do. Ready or not, he'll be right back. That Kevin Show with Kevin McCullough. guests I've been uh, excited to tell you about to all evening thus far because they are going to be with us in both editions of the Music Spotlight tonight. But the first time I heard the combination of Kristen Getty, who you may know from the Gettys, we featured their music uh, in the past, and uh, Sky Peterson was at Sing of last year where there was, there was uh, new music uh, introduced. And you're going to hear not only a song that has already been released by the two of them, but you're going to hear a brand new one tonight as well. But ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for Kristen Getty and Sky Peterson. Doing awesome. I'm so glad to have you here. Kristen, um, Keith has been all over me the last uh, couple of weeks. He's like, Kev, have you heard the new song? Keith, I've heard the new song. I love the new song. He goes, well, how come you haven't had them on the show yet? I said, because we work a couple of weeks ahead of time. So just give me a little, (laughs) let me a little runway. But uh, Sky and Kristen, you have worked together now, at least that I know of, on two songs. Uh, This one is called I Am Not My Own. Uh, Sky, why don't you tell us a little bit about where the song came from? Yeah, uh, the song was written uh, based off of Heidelberg's Catechism, um, which is just a very churchy word for kind of a lot of questions and answers that um, have to do with with scripture. And the question was, um, what is our only hope in life and death? 
And the answer is um, that we belong to Christ, that we are not our own. Uh, and I was writing with a, my friend Ben Shive, and we were like, we should write a song about that. And it turned into a song that was kind of written to speak to the idea of identity. Um, that's such a tricky uh, subject these days to talk about. And uh, we really wanted to kind of write a song that's memorable and easy to sing, that's telling really complex truth in a simple way. Uh, Kristen, you're, you're a parent, uh, you know, my wife and I, well, we're parents, we're raising, we're all raising kids in this day and age. And when you've got in the public schools, CRT and uh, sexual transitioning and all kinds of other things that are trying to attack the identity of the children of this generation, what was it about this particular song that grabbed your attention? Well, the sky is so beautifully expressed. You know, this is a theme which is always, it is a timeless one, but I think today it is a very timely one. And I know as a mom that I have um, looked on with great agitation, sometimes anger, frustration, worry, concern, and I'm always delighted for any way, particularly through music, because it's so powerful, to point my children back to the truth. And I think this is what this song so beautifully does. Sky wrote it with Ben and a couple others. It was just my delight to come alongside and to join Sky in singing it. And I'm really excited, you know, watch my kids as they get older. They don't listen to me quite the same way. When they see Sky, they want what? to be her when they grow up. <laughs> yeah, every parent goes, uh-huh, yeah, I know. Uh -huh. <laughs> yes. um, and so I'm, I'm looking at my older girls particularly, and they just love Sky, and it excites me for you know who she is and what she stands for, her beautiful gift, um, and how this song speaks to them and how she speaks to them. And I, I'm just incredibly excited to be able to, 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 to show her off and this song. Sky, we were talking before we started rolling tape today and had a chance to visit a little bit because someone else was just a minute or two late. Um, <laughs> but you, you do have a passion to uh, talk to this generation. Um, tell me more about that. Why does it kind of burn in your heart so badly? Yeah, well, I think part of it is I'm I'm 20 and uh, I feel like a lot of my friends growing up were um, either way younger than me or way older than me. And so I feel like I, um, I feel like I have a lot to say, um, to, to that generation and in particular, the younger one, um, because I know what it's like to be a lonely kid <laughs> and a lonely teenager that is in search of the truth. And, um, if, if I can kind of play a role in helping other people believe that God is real and he loves them, then I want to sing about it. Well, That's we... where a lot of my songs tend to come from. We don't we don't shy away from those very direct uh, uh, truths uh, here at that Kevin show. Even though we're not a, a Christian based show, this is certainly something that I very much um, uh, echo with with what Kristen and Sky are saying. Kristen, um, Sky has been a part of your 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 music songwriting kind of uh, part of of what you and Keith do now that it has has expanded rapidly. I think since the pandemic, but um, talk a little bit about why. You guys are excited to mentor and, and give feedback to aspiring songwriters. 
<laughs> well, first of all, I mean, Sky is just an outstanding talent. We, um, she is our, our friend, and we would seek to he help her in any which way as she develops and grows in all that she does. And over the last few years, Keith and I have have loved um, finding other writers who have a similar mindset um, in terms of what we think about the Lord, the importance, essential role of Scripture, and what we sing, and getting congregations singing and using music to help embolden believers and strengthen their faith and give them something to say and to pray and and to rejoice in and um, Sky feels that too and um, it's wonderful to we it has been a lot of men in this group for a number of years so we'd also like <laughs> yeah we're strongly outnumbered <laughs> yeah to, to, to bring a, um, a, a young lady like Sky on board Sandra McCracken's been working with us a bit Laura Story and that's been really fun to be able to and um, to be with them you know because some of the greatest hymn writers in the past kept and as you know we're ladies mm -hmm. and it's just it's exciting to be able to um to work with them and then I think across the generations it's just so important um I've been in several writing sessions with Sky and I just love to hear how she thinks about something the things that trigger things in her mind and the things she's passionate about and it just helps make everybody better yeah. and and just and just thrilled to get to and to get to work with her well, we're going to hear uh, both of those songs that I previously mentioned uh, tonight in just a little bit. Um, Kristen, real quickly, give a plug for your Sing Conference, which is oh, yes. going to be here faster than people realize, and they may want to <laughs> already get registered if they'd like to. Oh, absolutely. Um, the, the Sing Conference, I'm not sure whether this is the seventh or the eighth year. I was trying to think through in my brain what it was. Do you even know? I think pandemic stole about a decade from us, so, you know, I whatever. Know. I know. Either way, we are we are a number of years in. For those of your viewers who are not quite familiar with it, it's a conference that happens each year in Nashville around September time. And it's a song to encourage worship leaders and pastors and all who are interested in what the church is singing to gather together. Ladies, it's been wonderful to have you at That Kevin Show. So uh, thanks for coming by tonight, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Thanks so much, Kevin. You got it. Kevin McCullough coming right back from New York with... I Am Not My Own by Sky and Kristen when we come back. Hey, get the soundtrack. Search hashtag new music spotlight on Spotify or Apple Music. Serving it up with a no drink minimum. It's that Kevin show. Ladies and gentlemen, Sky Peterson and Kristen Getty. The one who made the heavens made my heart and soul. Before I drew a breath, I was loved and known. I am his creation, the maker's masterpiece. And all that he
Spotlight tonight and their brand new single, I Am Not My Own. Kevin McCullough, That Kevin Show from New York, a big book launch and some special guests in the second hour. Stay with us. Get the soundtrack. Search hashtag new music spotlight on Spotify or Apple Music. <laughs> 